a very special continuing conversations. Why do I say that? Is because we had so many communication technology issues to get Jim <laughs> Johnson on board today. Uh, um, it just happens that way. And if Ahura was here, I'm sure that she would have fixed it in like five minutes. Jim took about 15. Yeah, sorry about that. My old, uh, my old uh, iMac here is uh, still kicking, but I think I need to get the memory upgraded and then eventually plan on replacing it because uh, the uh, you know, unlike a PC, you don't really replace pieces of it. It's just it's all all one component. And uh, I, it might be nearing end of life here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Lieutenant Ohura could have found a way to still get into subspace with it. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we're here to talk about today is the role of the communication specialist. I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I'm a blogger on continuing missions, which is the number one blog for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And I'm here with the illustrious and not communications officer, Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody. Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG published by Mendifius Entertainment and co-host on this year's show, along with Michael Lothi's uh, 60-odd episodes or so. And uh, happy to introduce our uh, special guest for tonight. Al, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How's it going? Al Spader. Um, I'm a freelance writer for uh, Star Trek Adventures role-playing game. Uh, and I wrote a little uh, section about communication officers in the player's guide. So we're going to kind of drill down to what that looks like and why they are really just uh, such a cool role to play in the game. You know, I'm glad it's us three. Sometimes we have other people and guests, but the reason I'm really glad it's us three here tonight is because we really need to riff off this. Cause I'm going to say that I think it's, is the most boring position that anybody could pick on the ship, but I'm going to hope that our riff energy uh, blows up today and we have people running to play a communication officer after this episode. So, because, you know, to me, it's like, Oh, what do they do? They sit there. And then, of course in TOS, you know, uh, is where we were first introduced to the communications officer. Later, we we got to see an enterprise, um, a, a more robust communications officer. Um, and I have to ask, is there any other communication officers we've really seen um, besides in Strange New Worlds, the comeback of Ahura? Have we seen any other communication officers in other shows? I, I want to say that there was one in Star Trek Four. One of the one of the officers on Earth during the whole uh, disaster had like these funky antenna things, and I think he might he or they might have been a communication officer, yeah. but hard hard to know because it was so so little known about that character. But uh, no, I think I think uh, Hoshi and then Uhura, and then once you get into like the next gen era, they kind of morph that role into other into other roles where like war for data or somebody else was usually you know answering the phone so to speak yeah um, and even and in discovery on, uh, in discovery yeah. it was between ensign or lieutenant reese may have been he was more tactical maybe kind of yeah yeah it's a, it a little squishy um so uh so hmm. yeah i think um it's worth talking about absolutely because i think you know yuhura and hoshi are such great examples but then what else do you do with it right <laughs> i think that's what we're gonna talk about tonight is like how to riff on it and to give that particular role and character more things to do than just uh you know hailing frequencies open and closed i think they try to do a little bit more with uhura 
especially in the movies. Yeah. Uh, I think Star Trek six was like uh, the high point where she got to, you know, do the Klingon research and talk Klingon and, uh, you know, made, made a little bit of a hash of it, but, you know, got, got through it. <laughs> well, let's branch into Kelvin universe too. Cause honestly in the Kelvin universe, yeah. Uhura is one of my favorites. I mean, so if we click into what, Uhura was doing there. So Al, why don't you lead it off? You wrote the chapter on it in the player's guide. So, so what, what was your challenges with it and where, where did you think people could take it? So I think that like um, a lot of our concept of what a uh, communications officer is, is what's going on on the bridge, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Tapping your ear, you know, opening subspace channels, that type of stuff. Um, but I think uh, when you dig a little bit deeper, there are so many different forms of communication um, that maybe aren't auditory um, that need to be analyzed and figured out. And um, and so I started drilling down a little bit on that, like, you know, um, there might be a species that you meet that, you know, uh, has does some type of uh, haptic tactical like um, if they have to touch things to to communicate and like things like that. So uh, really, your communications expert should be familiar with all types of communication, whether that's words, syntax, uh, um, numbers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, all those type of things can be used um, as far as communications go. Um, and that is, you know, just a, a short skip away from also um, uh, knowing codes and, um, you know, being able to be a code breaker and things like that as well. Yeah. And I think if we think about the game system, game mechanics of Star Trek Adventures, communications is one of the six systems right on the ship. So that's a pretty big deal with that. And and oftentimes the communication officer, too, is going not only with communications, but also with the sensor systems. So there are a lot of opportunities to use it in gameplay, um, depending on the era, too, uh, that that's going to be happening. Yeah, dead air. Um, you don't want that as a communications officer. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you know Discovery is an interesting example, right? There's that one episode where uh, you know the the Universal Translator went haywire, and uh, the handful of officers who could speak a lot of languages were um, they had a little bit of a of an advantage, right? You know, Saru could speak what ninety something languages or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a place where a communication officer, if they are that type of communication officer, you know, who knows a lot of languages. Um, could benefit, you know, could could benefit. Now, you certainly don't want to do that every episode or every session, but that's just an opportunity for them to do something different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I could I could imagine any number of situations where a a communication officer would be beneficial to go on a landing party or an away mission because the universal translator, especially back in the original series and and uh, Discovery and even Enterprise, like it takes a while for the universal translator to to work right to get the context into into to work <laughs> yeah uh, and then you know having a human having a, a body with a brain might be able to pick that stuff up a little bit faster so so i think i'm going to do this then and you know i'll have you on a comment before i do this i'm going to do a challenge to all of you and what i'm going to go back is to our old riff challenge and i'm going to randomly pick something from one of the books randomly and find a paragraph. And I'm going to see how we will work a communications officer into that. You guys ready for this challenge? 
Okay. I think this will be a fun way. I'll go first um, well, so that you all can peruse the books you have in front. I'm going to just randomly pick the Shackleton Expanse campaign guide. Um, and I'm just going to randomly pick a page here. Okay. And, you know, in, in one of the uh, factions one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I ended up with Green Confederacy. I'm just going to read the paragraph and see where we go with that. It says, while this, uh, this is, it talks about Narendra Station, where the Breen might fall in relation uh, to Narendra Station. For those of you who maybe this is your first time listening to Continued Conversations, the Shackleton Expanse was created for gameplay with the Star Trek Adventures game system. It's created by Dayton Ward and Scott Pearson, I think, were the minds behind the Shackleton Expanse. And this is a new area of space to explore. So that if you know nothing about any of the other polities and species in Star Trek, you could have this one realm of the galaxy to make your own. Um, and so uh, this part, chapter three, is factions within the expanse. It takes established species from the Star Trek TV shows and says, okay, what could their relationship be with Shackleton Expanse and Narendra Station, which is the outpost closest to the Shackleton Expanse. So I'm going to read it and we'll talk about how a communications officer might wrap into this. It says, while Narendra Station and the Shackleton Expanse are a significant distance no from known Breen space, several Breen ships have recently traveled near the station. Oh, I already had the idea and poked at the edges of the Shackleton expanse before turning around and heading for home. In each instance, the so-called washboard effect, it's a stellar effect, dissuaded them from any deeper investigation. It's unknown how much data their ships were able to gather before warping out of the region. I'm done there. I can riff from there because obviously the communication officer hacked Breen transmissions. And what did they find out? What may they have found out about the Breen? Take it from there, riff. So, I mean, the washboard effect, this is like the idea of um, uh, gravimetric waves that uh, traverse um, the expanse, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, the maybe perhaps the Berene, um maybe they have like this, this idea of gravimetric waves uh, has something to do with their culture or their history. Um, and they, when they detected that, uh, they were like either afraid or saw it as like a religious experience or something. And they decided to back off for the time being for whatever reason. Oh, could maybe that gravimetric wave that the communications, the communications probably detected that there's green ships here. Why are they this far out? Maybe could they have detected that those gravimetric waves worked against the Breen's physiology, driving them mad, which would create some sort of, you know, mental, mental uh, plague. And now they need to reverse engineer that to save the Breen, which have not been on good terms with the Federation. Just an idea, just riffing where a communications officer might come into play on, on that random paragraph I just read. Right, or, or, or like another thing you do is maybe subspace in that region is messed up clearly so, and we need to use the um, gravimetric waves uh, that are part of the washboard effect to communicate with the Berean somehow. Oh, yeah. And the messages, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, if subspace is messed up in the area, um, maybe use real space to do that, you know, or something like that. I like that. I like that. Maybe the gravimetric 
um, waves are a little too structured so that we find out there's actually a dynamic intellect behind it and the breeder breen are afraid of it or maybe they worship it or they're trying to weaponize or control that intellect and it takes a communications officer to take that that what looks like simple gravimetric waves and make sense out of it first contact with some being the size of a star who knows okay all right See, I can I can write a I can write a module off that for the communications officer. All right, who picked a paragraph? Come on, let's show these people. Let's show these people how to GM. Come on. So I, I I've got one uh, right here handy, uh, and you know this could happen right there on the Renver station, um, and it says uh, there are two different communication systems installed on Starfleet space stations. The first allow both intrastation and extrastation communications for commercial non-Starfleet workers doing their jobs and visiting the station. The second system is a secured communications network used by Starfleet personnel. Okay. I mean, there's all kinds of stories in there, again, intercepting communications, right? Yeah, so you 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 basically have like the civilian internet, and then you have the Starfleet Starfleet internet, and how do they interact? Well, I have a question: Does Starfleet have the right to commandeer the civilian network? Can they can they like FSN the Federation News Service FNS the Federation News Service? What kind of legal rights to freedom of speech do they have where a communication officer might get involved? Well, I think the communications officer is certainly. Uh, in charge of listening to all the chatter on all the stations, like because we're, if we're if we're talking about the difference between a space station and a starship, right? Uh, if you are a communications officer specifically on a space station, I'm sure that part of your job is going to be monitoring uh, the chatter on uh, the civilian network. I would imagine. So, what if Starfleet orders the civilian network to be shut down for some reason? The civilians rebel and revolt and say, "No, you can't do that. Freedom of speech." Love it. <laughs> that might be an interesting thing. And the communications person is has to keep continually to shut down their workarounds. That would be chaos. Or, or the communications officer is supporting what the civilians are saying. Ooh. Right. And then maybe now they're clashing uh, about the fact, yeah, they have a right to use this network to communicate. That's why we put it in the station. We installed it for them to use. Who are we to take that away from them? Oh, what happens though if the if the civilians accidentally like picked up on a Starfleet or Section Thirty One transmission that's kind of dirty, and that's what they're broadcasting through the Net Federation news network? Oof. Some really intense stuff there. <laughs> oh, that could pit the communications officer, like you said, against command, which would really make them a starring role, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one, Jim. Thoughts? No, I think it's good. I, I like it. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. Nothing to add, really. Just a maybe not where I'd go with a with a with an episode or whatever. But uh, mm -hmm. great ideas, though. I, I think I think that like anytime you can tie in, you know, some type of social theme that's real in the world today, I think that um, uh, you know it'll work Ooh. out well in the end. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then maybe there's like this character, this antagonist who wants to charge everyone like $7 to use the communication network. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or do something more whimsical. Like uh, you got a, a Ferengi who's trying to hack into the uh, civilian network to, uh, to spam everybody with, uh, with commercials or, um, or marketing ah. players or something. Right. I mean, I, I would quark try to do this on DS nine. Right. Yeah. And, uh, just take it to the next, maybe take it to the next level, right? Where uh, 
um, like like the, this Ferengi figures out how to flood not just the civilian channels but also the Starfleet channels, and like so like literally every screen everywhere it's all just you know buy this buy that everything. And like maybe the communication officer has to figure out like what's the old school way to get around this. Like, is there an equivalent of uh, you know like CB radio or something that they can tap into to get a signal out to somebody to help them pull the plug? <laughs> and what if the Ferengi only planned that really as a distraction? Because what they actually did was even lie in subliminal messaging behind like the music that runs on the promenade and on the station, mm-hmm. and that's the real marketing tactic is the subliminal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that only the comm officer can find that frequency. Yeah, I mean, sure, sure. I mean, that would work. I mean, that'd be much more subtle, right? Uh, you know, some sort of code that changes the. the I, I love your idea. The subliminal, like light flashes, um, or uh, or like, um, uh, you know, how different frequencies, like you can't hear the frequency, but like uh-huh. it has an impact on you. Like, like maybe maybe they're able to be subtle about that, and like everyone's on edge and no one can figure out why. And it's the communication officer who's like, well, you know, there's something, there's something off a little bit about this, uh, about this comm network. There's like a, a frequency thing and they could probably use their skill set to, uh, to suss that out. Yeah. And maybe that communication officer is also an Andorian so they can hear mm. that, that sound that nobody else is hearing. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's like a high pitched, you know, uh, beeping in their, in their ears. And now, not only are they uh, trying to solve this problem, but they're also super annoyed while they're trying to do it. <laughs> and maybe, maybe the first act or two, no one believes them because, yes, like not only can they own, be the only one that's hearing it, but they can't get the computers to even localize it because it's an organic sense yeah. type thing. Oh yeah, I like this. That would be funny actually, and and I would write it in a way that the pl- other players really don't know whether the person's crazy or what, like, is it medical? No, there's nothing medical wrong. Is there si- someone psionically control? Are they really just crazy? Like, you know, like that'd be a really fun uh, mystery. So, th- so that the player at the end of act two has this cool aha moment. Like I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew I was hearing something. Yeah. That'd be fun. Okay. See, see, see. <laughs> okay. Communication officers. Listen up, GMs. There's stuff you can do. Okay, Jim, what do you? What did you find? I, I grabbed uh, Utopia off the uh, off the bookshelf here. It's the closest one I had to hand. Okay. Uh, so I'm just gonna grab a random paragraph here. So uh, let's. Uh, this is so fun. I, I love doing this. I can find something appropriate because, like, this is history. This is Starfleet operations. I just literally just randomly picked a page and dropped my finger, and just read it. That's how we're. Yeah. That's how we have to riff. We just gotta. Yeah, fair enough. Push yeah. ourselves creatively. It's like right, improv. Yes, and. I'll pick up, I'll go to a random page. And I'm just going to go to this. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, okay. Well, uh, good luck <laughs> to both of you. All right. So this is uh, this is the section of Utopia Planitia that talks about um, uh, resource collection. So this mm-hmm. is random, random elements that you can go out there and research, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to talk about tellarium. Ter- uh, Solarium is a semi-metallic silver-white element that is crystalline and brittle until refined with silver, gold, or copper. It is often used to help stabilize reactions within a starship's warp core. Once bonded with another metal, it can be used in semiconductor applications in addition to being infused throughout matter-antimatter reaction chambers, injectors, and magnetic constriction segments. Oh, yeah, I know. I already, I got it already. You want to go okay. first, Al, or do you want me to? No, you, you, you go. I'll bounce off you. Oh no! I mean, I love the fact that if all of a sudden the lights went out and 
everyone was blinded, that you would need somebody who can actually hear how a warp engine and superconducting should sound in order to function correctly. And they are kind of the medium translating, I know this engine well enough. I've been on this ship so long. I as a, it's a language in itself, the rhythm of the warp engine, the rhythm of the impulse engines, how the EPS counter uh, conduit should throb and that they are the ones who basically have to listen in order to get the ship back to where it is translating for the engineers. Mm. That's where I would go with that. I have an idea, but Al, what was, what was your thought? I mean, my, my thought would be, um, so this particular, uh, mineral that we have found, um, what if uh, also uh, there is a uh, silicon-based uh, life form that can create different minerals and the minerals that they create are actually how it expresses emotions? That's good too. Right? And, and I mean, it could actually go hand in hand with what Michael just said as well, right? So we've got this stuff on the ship, um, you know, and, and we're trying to, uh, to figure out uh, what's going on with the warp core. Uh, while at the same time, this substance keeps changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're trying to interpret uh, what it's trying to say to us. Mm, I love that puzzle to be solved. Oh, awesome. Jim, yes, and? Uh, oh, yeah, certainly. Yes, and um, the the thought that got my imagination going, Michael, was when you were talking about, uh, um, what was it, modulating the engine and, and, the, and the comm officer being able to pick up on it. I was like, oh, what a neat idea where like if there was like a disaster type of situation where the ship was hijacked or damaged or whatever and internal comms were down and something critical is happening. Maybe maybe the engineer and the comm officer are are tight, right? And and the engineer knows that the comm officer is so sensitive to be able to detect the minutest changes in the warp engine that they can send a communication to the bridge by modulating the warp core, modulating some modulating the <laughs> modulating the 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 elements within the warp core to to alter that pitch or or, or frequency or whatever, so that the comm officer without any technology says something just changed and then they can like communicate back and forth, whether it's like Morse code. Oh, wow. That's great. Like I think that would just be really cool, right? Really something different. And, and it's entirely based on the character's capabilities and backstory, right? Like the, the player yes. character or the player of that character said, you know what? My character is so sensitive to this ship that they were able to detect the minutest changes in the warp core, just be, you know, filtered through their communication uh, skills and training. To where they can pick up pick up that stuff and i, I think oh that'd be a, that's a neat idea uh so anyway that's where i was riffing it's not uh, related that's awesome. to solarium but uh it's related to what you guys were, were were riffing on there i love that i would name the ep that episode resonance yep it's a good one and it would all be about you know knowing your ship well enough that as you hear stuff happening yeah and that backstory like where what happened to them that they had to develop this skill to use the ship as language when comms are down and sensors are down. I mean, maybe they have a, a music background, right? Um, where they, you know, a stringed instrument uh, or something like that, or a piano or something like that, where they're just familiar with just the incremental tones that can be produced. And that is kind of what they apply to, you know, trying to figure out the warp core. Oh, 
Yes. And we know the musical notes, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So once it's established that, wait a second, this sounds like those notes and they're picking up their notes, they start noticing like this is more than coincidence. Someone is actually playing, you know, a, a, a chord structure here. And I have to start building off this chord structure to get the whole alphabet so I can get the communication from engineering. Mm-hmm. And so while maybe the ship's hijacked or something, they're on the bridge and the person this person's working it out and able to pass on communications. Oh yeah. yeah. I like or, this. or like I mean, uh, I mean, music is math, right? Basically. Mm. Uh so so maybe there's a subspace species or a subspace entity or something that's trying to communicate with the with the ship, and the only way they can do it is through these subharmonics or frequencies or whatever. And uh Mm-hmm. It, it bounces off. It, it uses the um, telarium as a uh, as a gong or as a um, yeah you know, uh, yeah pipe. Uh, I don't know what that instrument's called with all the different pipes that she had. Um, yeah, I mean, just you know, ways to play with that. <laughs> and, and like, literally, the only person on the ship who could really understand that would be the the comm officer. That would be a fascinating episode. I would love to hear. It reminds that. me there was a, a, one of the strange one of the strange mm-hmm. new episodes was really musically focused. I thought that was really super cool. Uh, so, yeah, so, so, a riff on a riff on that, I think. Yeah, but either way, I mean, it just shows that really the comm officer, you know, they fall under operations division, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so the comm officer has a lot, and you know, I I think we saw that change over time where Ahura really would have been more like a Harry Kim. Knowing ships is communicating yeah. between departments, checking up on systems. So, so they're they're communicating operational status of the ship at all times. So maybe that's another thing to think about if you're playing the communication officer in TOS era. That's going to be a lot of the operations duty, just like in TNG era, the operations person takes up a lot of those communication skills. Right from that kind of evolves over that. Yeah. Hmm. Now I want to play a communications officer. <laughs> I, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, talk about the the role ability too in the game, um, because you know interpreting a language is a role um, that you would need to make. And if it's an unknown entity, the difficulty increases by one. If it's an unknown syntax, you know the difficulty increases by one. And if you are the comms officer, you get to ignore all of those difficulty increases. Okay, like, like you are just flat, like you know at your base difficulty to, you know, to understand someone's uh, language. Um, and uh, I actually wrote in Jim, one of the things you had me do when I wrote these sections was to do pull an example right from the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that uh, it's one of the later season one episodes of Enterprise where uh, Hoshi is um, trying to interpret what this creature is saying. And it's like the silky web looking uh, creature. Um, and she says, well, this is more like calculus than it is language. And then she eventually is able to dial it in and find out what it was trying to communicate. Um, I thought that was like a fascinating episode to show a communi- communications um, officer like in their prime. Nice. I think also, you know, as game masters, we sometimes have a person who can't make it to every single game. Maybe they can make one out of every three games, but they still want to play the game. Well, maybe have them be the communication specialist um, so that if you have enough time to know, okay, they're going to make it only once out of every three months to the game or once out of every three games, then you can make sure then to adapt a role for them at that point. If you feel that you can't keep a 
communication specialist engaged every game. I I, I know I could because I kind of like look at every character to build my games every time, so everyone gets a little starring role. But maybe a sporadic player, this would be a good role for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think um, I mean that being said, though, as a game master, I think I would I would do everything I could to get that player to add as many layers as possible to their character so that they're not just the communications officer, right? I mean, you could easily be a um, anthropology and archaeology um, officer in addition to the communication officer, right? So not only do you have the technical understanding of how to do communications, uh, you've also got like the science, you got science elements, mm-hmm. you got anthropology, you got archaeology, you've got, uh, um, you know, the, those those skills where like you understand how people and civilizations work but you've also got that that language element too, right? So you can you can suss out that kind of stuff. So I, I think I would. Uh, um, I, mean, I mean, this is true for every role. I, I would I want the player to to add layers. What are your focuses? What are your what are you you know what what are your specialties? What are you good at? And this comes down to the talent selections too, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, like not every communication officer has to be Uhura or has to be Hoshi, right? There are no shortage of t- talents and focuses. That you could play with, especially because you're in the operations division, you could you could slant toward the engineer side of things. You could slant toward the tactical side of things. There's there's a lot of wiggle room to uh, to play with where you could be um, like a mix between Hoshi and Malcolm Reed, right? Yeah. You're, or or maybe you're even a you know Starfleet intelligence or uh, uh, undercover Section Thirty One operative, where not only are you the comm officer, but you're also monitoring everything, <laughs> right? You got you got an extra fee. <laughs> Yeah. that you're listening in on and you're hearing all the captain's communication i mean whatever else but yeah i think i actually think strange new worlds has done a phenomenal job giving yeah. uhura something to do every single episode with engineer right. and doing that but i want to remind everyone too that there's nothing that prevents the communication specialist from being the first officer so so that yeah. could be a dual role that if you're kind of creating your TOS crew and you want to have a communications person, but take both roles. Um, you know, Spock was overdoing science, but he was the first officer. Una is helm, but she's the first officer. So nothing stops it from being communications and first officer if you're still at the um, session zero phase of your game. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and depending on what kind of campaign you're running, I could easily imagine the communication officer being a civilian, a civilian specialist, uh, specialist. Uh, like, um, I mean, Shackleton's an example, right? Maybe you're you're commissioned by the Federation Science Council to uh, lead an expedition into the uh, into the expanse, and oh, this player character just happens to be the uh, the the Federation's renowned expert on subspace, you know, wavelengths from subspace phenomena. And they want to get a deeper dive into what the washboard is and like, are there strange aliens tied into it or something? You know, what, what is the washboard all about and why are the brain interested? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there so, you go. So See that civilian uh-huh. is assigned to the ship uh, as a, as a civilian, but they are the, they are the, the communication specialist. And, uh, um, and then they're off, you're off and running, right? you got a civilian on the ship, but they're, uh, they're, they're playing an integral key part of the uh, of the storyline so you could you don't have to be starfleet obviously i mean you could be uh yeah you can do whatever you want <laughs> yeah honest yeah go ahead i, I, I want to be a officer now uh, <laughs> i know uh, i haven't had ideas here. yeah <laughs> on top of that i mean i know that the position kind of phased out as we started getting into next generation era there's no reason why you couldn't 
still have a communications officer on a TNG era bridge, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, another thing I wanted to point out is uh, if you're a game master looking to, you know, have your uh, communications officer shine, um, I would, you know, watch the last two episodes of season four of Discovery uh, and see how they set up the communication with the 10 C mm. um, because it was very, bizarre like it was pheromones it was light it was depth and like putting all those things together i think you know only someone who is an expert at communication would be able to start piecing those pieces of the puzzle together and be able to interpret what it's saying yeah in fact that character who did i forget the asian actor who played that character was phenomenal yep. and i can't i want to write that person up so bad in a pack and the reason why i want to write him up in the pack is because when he was sitting at the table he said these are my specialties and he named three different specialties i'm like well there's his focuses that's the easiest character to ever write yeah. ever <laughs> yeah i thought that was I, I want to write that character um i was going to say on a space station too honestly if you remember Deep Space Nine, how much communication they did every episode. Who's coming out of the wormhole? Who's going in? What kind of ship is it? Put them at docking bay four. Go check it out. Honestly, a communications officer on a space station would be equivalent to a science officer or operations person. They are all over at all times monitoring traffic. And that would be a very pivotal role in a station game, I think. Mm -hmm. Before I lose the thought, I just want to add to out real quick. In addition to watching the last two episodes of uh, season four of Discovery, uh, check out the movie Contact with uh, Jodie Foster, oh. and, check out, and check out the movie uh, The Arrival. Arrival. Yes. Oh, Arrival. I knew you were going to say uh, Arrival. There's, there's, there's oh. tons of great ideas. Oh. Uh, I mean, hell, even uh, even go watch the uh, classic uh, Close Encounters yep. of the Third Kind because there's some great communication. That, that was all music, right? How about enemy mine? How about enemy mine? Yo, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> examples out there. So, uh, yeah, tap into, the, tap into the history of science fiction, uh, movies, television, and uh, and, and books. Well, I'm sure there's books out there, but I, I'm not familiar. All the How time. about the abyss? Yes, abyss. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Right. Yeah, these are all good communication officer type movies that mm -hmm. that are really good. Oh man, I never thought about yeah. this. And then you know, also think about um, how a how a communication officer's role might change if you get caught up in a war. Like maybe you're doing a Dominion War game or a Romulan War game, or even the the Federation Klingon War that we see in the first season of Discovery. Um, all of a sudden, your communication officer could have a whole bunch of extra jobs to do. Like mm -hmm. not only are you uh, you know just doing your your routine stuff, but now you get to keep an ear out for uh enemy signals like what what's what's the com traffic happening I mean, what are the what are the independent traders saying like like who who's yep. getting who's getting klingon signals or who's getting gem hadar signals or whatever oh um, so you're moving you got, into the intelligence arena now yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And in fact i was thinking uh, i just oh. had, i don't remember which one of you were talking but i just had this random spark of an idea hit me where like playing a tng era game right after wolf 359 Oh. Uh, where the like there's a there's a period of time where you could you could posit that the like the the panic and the hysteria in the federation has spiked because everyone's like well when's the when's the next borg attack going to come and like like everyone is monitoring frequencies and maybe the federation pushes out a whole bunch of deep space um relays and, and uh listening posts and stuff so like can we pick up the borg signals can we pick up the borg signals and so like you're 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 like constantly doing your job and doing your missions but you're also in the background listening to those loops of uh 
of subspace uh, noise and chatter. Like, is this oh. a Borg signal? Could this be a Borg signal? Is this a false signal? Is this a real signal? Uh, and then if and the were to get wind of that, <laughs> they can start sending out false signals. And the Federation thinks that the Borg are coming, but it's actually some, you know, Packlid. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and what if the communications officer stands the place of what a communications person, I'm communications in my work. So that means I have to help craft messages to calm people down sometimes. Yeah. So what if the communications officer has to disseminate that data into a statement for Starfleet Command or the Federation News Service? And if you're playing it into game mechanics, based on the difficulty of what's going on emergency-wise, they actually have to roll like presence plus science of communications or or uh security or whatever the applicable medicine if it's psychologically based that they actually have to do a role to see how calming their pr was oh, oh. that's yeah. good too yeah, yeah. And, all kinds and, of fun stuff and, and jim as you as you were talking about maybe going into the more like spying on others type things it made me think of uh again topia planitia uh, pages 226 and 227, you've got the Federation border listening post and the Federation subspace communications relay. And you could almost play a communications officer who is uh, who repairs these stations, designs these stations, right? Mm. And get a little bit more of engineering in there, right? I yeah. think that would be really like maybe maybe you are the person that goes and repairs all the Federation border listening posts and you hop rides with different ships and you go out to do that. You make your repairs and then you get moved off to another ship that's going somewhere else to make your, repair. Mm-hmm. you know, I think you could. Uh, that's a really fascinating way that I hadn't thought of until just now. And I'm getting really excited about it. Well, no, I, and I'm loving this because I could actually see them replacing the engineer in that sense. So the engineer doesn't have to go. They are a communication specialist. They can deal with communication sensor arrays and build stuff. So if you are having a communication specialist and you're having an engineer on your ship, split the duties between them, depending on what goes down at any particular time. If there's, if I'm the GM, I'm going to damage the sensor arrays. And so if the engineer can stick with the engine, I'm going to send the communication specialist, go do that extended task to fix it, to be the lead on it. So treat them with that engineering role. Oh, wow. And, and then back to Jim's point too, they could be, chief in coordinating fleet engagements so who's the communicator between all these ships coming in for battle who is what roles could you do like daring plus security to give advantages to your ship or the fleet in a fleet battle that sometimes happens in star trek adventures mm-hmm. mm. yeah and, <laughs> and now that now that we're all riffing here what what this would be a cool opportunity like i i know that a lot of uh well, not a lot, but some chatter on the on the different forums have been, you know, people would say, you know, I've only got one or two players. What what kind of a Star Trek game can I run without overwhelming the game master with having to play a whole bunch of NPCs? Right. This this concept here where, where you are, you are the uh, you're the you're the one who goes from relay to relay, swapping out systems or, or you know, cleaning up the data packets and, and moving on to the next one. Maybe you have a runabout or a shuttle. And and you schlep from listening post to listening post, and oh. it's like you and one other person, or maybe you and an NPC or something, and that's your thing. That's your whole campaign, right? <laughs> but you set it during a war, or you set it on the on the border between you know maybe you know between the, the Federation and the Romulans, or the Federation and the Klingons, depending on what era you want to play in, or you know the Federation and some new species or something, mm-hmm. right? And uh, 
Um, so you're you're going from compost to compost, collecting this data and uh, and refreshing them. But you know maybe you've got a second, maybe you've got that intelligence gig where not only are you swapping out these data packets and keeping the communication systems up and running, but you're also expected to analyze that stuff and be like the frontline first person to actually study that stuff. And then you forward that information on to Starfleet. Uh, mm-hmm. to say, you know, here's 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 the you know top three things I noticed. You know, keep an eye on this, keep an eye on that. Maybe sector 304 is a, a, a hot spot right now. So pay attention. Yeah, I see a technology heavy, almost like very hacker style yeah. uh, computer forensics. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I could do a lot of this. <laughs> Yeah, so, can, so you know that's it. That's it. That's the cool thing about communications, like because we saw Uhura spend a lot of time fix. Or there's a couple episodes where she was actually fixing her systems, right? She was she crawled under the deck or uh, mm-hmm. under the console and was doing the actual tinkering. So it's like uh, you know a really strong communications officer wouldn't just know wouldn't know just how to use their stuff, but how to fix it or how to or how to manipulate it or how to refine it or whatever, right? Um, and so there's that the engineering tie-in. And obviously, they can tie into security. Uh, we've already and being about a probe specialist. I have to go into yeah. being a probe specialist. Remember, the thing's got to have a tailpipe. One of the best lines in a in a movie was right. her knowing how to work out work and manipulate probes, which I know in my <laughs> game we use probes a lot. So a communication officer would control those. Yeah. So just as just to spin this out, then just to riff. Uh, so we've managed to tie communications into just about everything except medicine. How would we connect? communications officer with the medicine um this uh, the medicine attribute or a uh, discipline sorry uh, i i touched in it with psychology so if they're responsible psychology. if they're if they're if they're responsible for doing news reports and allaying the fears of the crew yeah. passing through messaging i would then make make it a make it a uh like a daring or presence with medicine role if it has mm-hmm. to do with creating communications or even with working with an alien species tone tonal maybe it's a tonal species and they react to tonal facial expression they may have to counsel everyone and give them like training on presence and medicine on how to approach a species that's tonally you know communicating or something just an idea yeah and even the ship's counselor right if they're providing support to someone that's had a traumatic event uh, using the words, um, you know, correctly and as to not uh, trigger an event or, um, you know, and and talking about positive self-talk and things like that. I think, um, you know, knowing what to say is uh, every bit as important as how you say it. Um, and I think that a communications uh, officer could uh, be a really good counselor as well. Mm. Oh, I have an idea. What if, the, what, if the, what if the communications officer was telepathic or empathic and uh, and uh, uh, I, I, there's a there's a whole concept about people that suffer traumatic brain injury sometimes shift their senses and and like they can't they can't communicate the same way they used to be able to, but they can communicate in other ways. Yeah. And it's just like, how do it's just like the the medical practitioner is trying to figure out how do we do that? How do we communicate mm-hmm. with you? knowing that you had this traumatic brain injury or something. So a, a communications officer who knows medicine and maybe is an empath, empath, empath or telepath or something, maybe could have an angle into that. I love I that. The whole, the whole Katra thing with, uh, with Vulcans and uh, the, yeah. the Faltor Pond and the, the transference of the Katra and all that crazy, wacky, cool stuff. Honestly, that we can play with. 
Yeah, and why I like that is because I think the reason Uhura and Spock got along so well, in my opinion, is because I think Uhura could read his face and all the inflections that humans just didn't pick up. I think the body language is what attracted her to, to him. It's because to her, it was loud and clear. Mm-hmm. And then Spock is attracted to her because like, wow, I don't have to exhibit my emotions, but this is someone who can empathize with me. Mm-hmm. I, I, when I was watching the movies, I thought that I was like, oh, it makes totally sense that they would get together. She'd be the perfect person for Spock. What a what a what a great focus that would be. Huh? What, what is it? A, <sighs> kinesthetics or kinesthesiology or something like 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 I, in fact, we've seen this right. We've seen this in the last few years where um, the uh, the Internet experts come out of the woodwork to say, oh, you know, I'm an expert at reading body language and they're they're mm-hmm. analyzing video of Trump and they're like, oh, you know, this and this and this is happening or whatever. Uh, and uh, you're like, you know, like some of it feels authentic, but some is like, really? <laughs> a lot of it's real. No, I, I do American Sign real, Language. Right? Yeah. I do American Sign Language and 85% yeah. of the language is morphisms and facial expressions and uh-huh. body movement. 15% are, are signs. But we actually have a game we play where you put your hands behind your back and you tell the story without your hands. And it works. And it's really oh, fun to be like, wow, I understood that whole story. You couldn't use your hands all the time just to prove that it's so strong in morphisms and facial expression. What a cool, oh man, that'd be such a cool focus though, right? I mean, yeah, I know Michael, especially you, you love getting, you you love putting interesting and different focuses on a, on a character and then figuring out how to use it. And like a, Mm -hmm. like a character who knows body language or, or is into like Xeno kinesthetics or Xeno, whatever that word is, uh, to where they Xeno kinetic linguistics. Xeno kinetic linguistics. There you go. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. We need to put that in a character somewhere. I love that. Oh man, and like or, or like Andorian uh, uh, um, antenna kinesthetics, like like, mm. like you can see the switches and stuff. It's like, oh, this Andorian's thinking something. And, oh man, there's so many places you could go with this. Unbelievably, <laughs> I remember when I started this episode, I said I have nothing to say about it, but I was so glad I had you too because we're the ultimate riffers, I think. Right, and I mean, I'm so like ready to play a communications officer now. Right. <laughs> Right. And I hope I hope this, if nothing else, I hope somebody out there is thinking, thinking about it. And they're like, oh, gosh, I didn't even think of that. And uh, and and like, I mean, all these roles are viable, but uh, hopefully we just spent, what, 45 minutes talking about how cool. Yeah, officers can be. So let's go around one more time. We'll do our final closing on communication officer statements. I'll go out. We'll have Jim close it out. I, I think now my revelation is, again, if you're at a session zero, someone better play a communication officer because I think it's it hasn't been played enough in Star Trek. And I'm sure we'll see over the next seasons of Star Trek Strange New Worlds that we'll see a lot of it coming forward. But if you're playing in the game, you probably could come up with some really cool stuff that had never been televised before. I'm the kind where I love diving into the creativity and getting crazy with stuff. So um, my advice is tell us your stories about what you do with your comm officer. Send it to communicate. Uh, continuing missions or on social media or wherever we're at just tell us those stories after you watch this episode put it in the youtube chat but um i think this deserves a continuing mission article um hearing what you all do i'm super excited how uh so i was just thinking about how from a game master point of view it might be really easy to fall into the whole uh, there's this thing called the universal translator. So it's really hard for me to do anything for my communications people. Um, and the way to get around that is to just say the universal translator doesn't work. But I think we just went for 45 minutes 
giving ideas that had nothing to do with the universal translator, right? Mm-hmm. Um, either it was different forms of communication or technologies or, um, or whatever. And I guess uh, I would put to you uh, game masters out there, just think outside the box, right? Uh, give them a puzzle um, to solve or give uh, you know uh, them a chance to peruse subspace in a different way. And then you don't have to do the trope of taking away the universal translator. Like it can still be there, but it, it's almost more worrisome if you do have the universal translator and, you know, and you still can't figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. That, that is totally true. Yeah. Jim. Yeah. I, I just, uh, you know, we, we, we just spent 45 minutes or so riffing on how, how, how as a game master and as a player, you could, you could build an entire campaign around your communication officer, right? If that communication officer is is the one who gets wind of something incredibly complex and weird and different, that they they are they are the one person with the right tools and the right place at the right time to start, you know, laying the groundwork on how to translate it or how to decipher it or whatever. Um, or they're on the front lines and they're they're on the front lines, you know, translating messages or uh, getting intel or whatever. I mean you could you could base an entire campaign around a communication officer. And then, like all the other characters, like the cats and the first officer, kind of revolve around them. It'd be, it'd be a neat little kind of like spin on the on the on the traditional formula of a Star Trek episode, uh, campaign. Uh, but uh, hopefully, this has given you a sense of just the possibilities that are out there. And you know, I don't know why it didn't even occur to me to think about it. But uh, um, if you're not familiar with it, go go research the Voynich manuscript um, and and think about how you could take that. And turn it into a science fiction into a science fiction concept for your campaign because I've been thinking about it for a couple of years now, and I am determined to find a way to put that into a into a Star Trek campaign. Which and manuscript is that? Voynich, V O Y N I C H. It's an it's an old like it, it, I mean it's at least three or four hundred years old. It's an old manuscript full of of notes and drawings and artwork and stuff that to date nobody has been able to translate, and they they don't know if it's a bunch of BS. Or if they don't, or, or if they just haven't been able to figure it out yet. I've, I've got a huge book here somewhere. I can't find it. Uh, a big, beautiful hardcover with a lot of reprinting of the plates from the Voynich manuscript. But I thought, wouldn't it be so cool if uh, if a if a player character group stumbled on the the science the, the sci-fi version of this thing uh, in a Star Trek show, and then they spend the whole campaign, or at least the first season, trying to translate it. And as they translate it, I mean, this would be a huge, long-term, extended task maybe even with the scientific method folded into it. Like I, as a GM, I could, I could drip feed them clues and hints, go to, you know, go to this planet, do this thing and whatever. And uh, I, I would just have, I mean, me personally, I would have a lot of fun researching it. I mean, I'm actually looking at it now. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. And then I have a question yeah. and now, now I need to be educated real quick. So this is a Voynich manuscript. It's 400 years old, which means no one has any copyright on it either. Right. right. So my question is, how do we know that the Voynich manuscript, if no one can interpret it, it's not actually something alien? And then in this episode, they come, someone comes across on a different planet, 10, 100 light years away, a copy of this manuscript. And they're like, whoa, this is the cipher. And we finally know what it means. Mm-hmm. You want me to do the manual? You, you want me to do the module on the Voynich manuscript? I'll do it. I'll do it, Jim. You want me to do it? You're asking me to do it? I'm going to do it if you want me to do it. I, I, would, I would. I mean, it's bigger than that. But yeah, can we anyway, use the, anyway, my question um, is, can we use the illustrations from it? Could you copy it into a Star Trek book? Uh, some of these alien, some of these plants look really alien. So now I'm thinking it's a plant based species. Yeah. 
That'd be okay. Anyway, have fun. Uh, so so go, your, your homework, people, your homework is to uh, watch The Arrival, watch Contact, watch the last two episodes of Discovery. Even if you don't like Discovery, who cares? Go watch it anyway. Uh, look up the Voynich manuscript. Go look up the Enigma code. Uh, so like uh, the uh, the German U-boats had the uh, the Enigma machine. Uh, there's some really cool code breaker stuff in there. Uh, of course, there's no shortage of code breaker stuff in the Cold War and the um the for world war ii and stuff so go go have fun do some research and make your communication officer awesome and cool and unique and then and then go run some awesome star trek episodes with it all right well my my thank you is going to uh go this week to you jim because now i have a feeling i'm going to be obsessed looking at this and trying ah. to figure it out so so i give you a thank you to that i also want to uh, give a thank you out to some really good communicators um just celebrating uh what they're doing for us and that's the cast of star trek perseverance with eliza pearl um who's launching that on twitch right now i just want to thank them because again they do a labor of love and all the actors who are involved there campbell sam delev bonnie all the others um who are on that i I just it's just I just appreciate that they put their passion into the game. Um, they show people how to play and they're not making any rules. They're just showing like this is what our group loves to do. So that my, my thank you is to the cast of Star Trek Perseverance um, today. Al, what's your gratitude? And we'll finish with Jim. So my gratitude goes to uh, Aaron Palaya because uh, honestly, he is always there. If I have a question about science or uh, an idea for um, anything to bounce off of and, you know, and he's a straight shooter and he'll help you out. Uh, and he's uh, he's uh, volunteering to uh, to come to my or do a video conference for my classroom to share some of his world war ii memorabilia and things oh, like cool. that so like i just aaron is a delight he's a wonderful human being and um yeah he he is amazing so aaron i want to thank you truly agreed awesome uh i want to thank uh, both of you uh for uh, for for being such great um champions of the game like, I mean, I think even if you weren't freelance writers, you'd still be championing the game because that's where you were when, before I encountered you. And and, and then I, I saw how passionate you were both about the game and got you into it. And I, I'm thrilled that uh, you're you're doing writing for me, but you're also continuing to do your own stuff in support of the game. You know, you guys are running your own um, uh, how to plays. And, you're of course, Michael, you're running continuing conversations. So, like, in your own ways, you are boosting the signal for, for Star Trek Adventures and for Star Trek as a whole. Uh, so thanks to both of you, uh, and then also thanks. I'll, I'll echo Michael and say thanks to all of the, not just uh, not just the stream punks, but like everybody who is streaming this game, playing this game, recording the game, putting your actual plays up on online. Uh, I mean, there's so many of you. Like I can think of Europa, I can think of ELH Mark One, I, I can think of um, Tempest. Like I mean, there's so many. Go go to the Midifius, uh uh, stream page there's a bunch on there there's a lot more that are not on that page and i wish you would get on that page but uh, i see a lot of different folks on twitter and facebook and uh, the discords like there's just so many people out there boosting the signal for this game doing what they love having fun showing other people how much fun they're having and uh and, and in some way we're, we're building you know the fan base one new person at a time like if somebody watches somebody's you know random uh, live stream or recording of an episode and they go, Oh, I want to check this out. And they'll go get the quick start or something. That's mission accomplished, right? That that's gold. Like any, 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 any eyes we can get on the game is a win. So, uh, you know, don't worry about whether you're getting the rules right or not. Just as long as you're having fun and you're showing people how much you love the game and the franchise, then that's all, that's all gravy, man. I love it. 
So I, I'm just so, so excited. So thanks everybody for uh, boosting the signal. Um, I love that you said boosting the signal on our communications officer episode. That was perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was intentional. <laughs> All right. So until next time, IDIC. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. Talk to you all next time. Keep the conversation continuing.